Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war So we have so many people, well, maybe not so many, but we have a lot of nurses out there that have spoken up and have walked away from their jobs and, you know, are hailed as heroes in the medical freedom community. While some of them that have stayed in the system are seen as traitors of some sort. And and I never really understood that because what I think is very important is that we have the good nurses still in the hospital. I mean, guys, if all of the experienced nurses that went into this profession with their heart wide open and for the right reasons were to leave, you have no idea what it would look like when you're walking into the hospital. And so here with me today, I want to highlight one of those special nurses to talk about a couple of subjects with me um, that I think, you know, is going to be very eye-opening for you. And remember, if she wasn't still in the hospital, we would never know these things. So today we are going to talk about all of the heart attacks that we are seeing in the hospital. Many of you guys know that I am back in the ER. Um, I work at a standalone ER. That's what they call it. It's like a micro hospital that is, you know, 30 minutes from the nearest big level hospital system with specialties. And what I'm seeing with the heart issues, and she's also on the inside there, um, out in Florida, who's working with large hospital systems and their chest pain department. We're going to talk about that, what um, what we're seeing. And, and she's going to talk about, you know, what happens because once these people leave the ER, I don't see them again, right? Well, she does. She sees their records and, and she understands their history um, in a little bit more depth than what we do in an emergency setting. We're going to touch base on that. And then we're also going to touch base on the issues with nurses that are out there protesting because of safe staffing issues, um, paychecks, right? Their, their money, they're not getting paid as much as these travelers are. And the issues with travelers, um, a lot of your hospitals around this country are staffed with travelers. So we're going to educate you on that as well. Um, but without further ado, welcome, Nurse Nicole. Thank you so much for being here with me today and for having 
just your, she is just a warrior guys. I, we have been following each other on social media and this is our very first conversation that we ever had. Um, but uh, tons of respect I have for her. She's been out there fighting. She's been speaking and, and giving her testimony all over. So welcome, Nicole. Tell, tell our listeners um, a little bit about yourself. And um, so they get to know you a little bit. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Nurse Nicole is what I go by. I am a Central Florida nurse who has predominantly worked in the cardiac uh, realm of healthcare for almost two decades. And um, like Ms. Jody said, I recently have um, been able to work in a pretty big program in the system that I work for that is privy to information on individuals that are coming in what we call as like a heart attack and STEMI, STEMI. And so having the whole entire chart, if you will, and seeing the very first medical contact is what we call it when a patient calls 911 and then the whole process that unfolds until the patient is seen in the hospital, et cetera is something that I've had um, access to for quite some time. And just, you know, going over uh, what we're seeing at this time with these individuals who are coming in related to their vaccination status and where it kind of leads to the likelihood of them having these heart attacks based on the number of vaccines that we're seeing uh, that they've come in with. Yeah, there's definitely a correlation, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've seen as little as two, but predominantly we are now seeing some that are up to their eighth booster. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think is kind of telling is, you know, to to prove this, you have to have so much data um, over a certain amount of time. And so in medicine, you know, a lot of these things are progressive. We see a lot of um, cardiac patients that may start out with something a little bit more subtle and then uh, eventually evolve into something more like a heart attack. And so, or an MI is what you might know it as as well. And so we are seeing that their information based on their vaccination status is being input into the system and how many that they have, and also correlating with their history that you can see um, in the chart. And it correlates almost identical for a fair amount of people, not everyone, but a fair amount of people that once you get this vaccine, what it looks like a couple weeks, a couple months from then, how they're getting either seen in their doctor's office for problems, they need extra blood work, they've maybe had a procedure, and you can follow the timeline almost identical with each vaccine that they received. So it's pretty, pretty obvious, it's pretty telling. And um, seeing that over the past few years, how that looks, there's no, un- there's no way to deny this information at this time. No, absolutely. You know, I had told you that I had just returned to the ER. And prior to that, in the beginning of my nursing career, I had worked at um, about eight years ago, it was uh, worked at one of our level one trauma centers, we were a certified stroke center and, and we would see I have had more and STEMIs, MIs, literally, I mean, I have seen like five of them in about 15 shifts. Right. And I am in a, in a population of like 40,000 people. So this is like insane on amount of people, but you know, before we go in there, because we're going to break down what an MI and and STEMI is for you, we're going to, we're going to provide some education and also early warning signs that you can look out for with your yourself or your family and friends. 
But first, Nicole, um, when were, was your eyes opened to what was happening in the world? Was it prior to COVID or during COVID? Oh. I was more so more hesitant before the pandemic. I wasn't somebody who like got my flu shot every time. I, I, I kind of stayed away from that. And I was someone who was always able to get a religious exemption for my vaccines. I'm someone that doesn't take well to the hepatitis B. Um, I've had chicken pox as a child. So in the hospital systems, they require us to have certain vaccinations and to just put out there to be transparent. Everything I say is my personal opinion has nothing to do with my current or, you know, former employer employers, but, you know, I want people to know I, I, I was fully vaccinated as a child, you know, and as I got Thank older, these decisions uh, based on things that I was seeing and just how I felt after I was kind of coerced into getting them to keep my job in the hospital. And so I usually did religious exemptions. I didn't want to get revaccinated for things that weren't really working for me anyways, or that I've had as a child. So it really wasn't an issue. But then when the pandemic hit, and I happened to work in a very large hospital in Central Florida. I took care of heart transplants. I was a heart transplant nurse. And another controversy for another day is, you know, you can't get a transplant without being fully vaccinated. And one of the things that I saw time and time again were these patients put in really difficult situations and were taken off the list if they were not agreeable to also the COVID vaccine because the surgeons would not allow it. And so once I started to see it roll out and see what it was doing to our immunocompromised and our most vulnerable communities, and no one wanting to talk about the success rate of how well they weren't doing, uh, it really just even more set off the alarms that this is something is wrong. And just to see it roll out and how many people were coming to us, because I work in cardiac or the heart field, if you will, that it was it was undeniable, you know, within 24 hours, few days after getting a certain vaccine, these people were coming in with adverse reactions and nobody could talk about it. So that's really when it just kind of exploded. And I started to see what was happening and the fact that we were losing bodily sovereignty. People were not able to make these decisions, um, whether to keep their jobs or, you know, stay in the hospital system. And so it became really evident how much of a push this was despite what was happening or harming these patients that we had and um, that they, they didn't want to hear anything about it. They just wanted it to be a hush hush, give it, don't question it. And uh, we took a note to do no harm. So I just kept seeing a pattern that I was not comfortable with. And that's when I started really speaking out about it. Yeah. But then, and you went and you spoke out at, uh, and gave testimony um, several times. We uh, do go to our commissioners meetings. We started, I started to speak out on like nursing shortages, what I was seeing in the hospital. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for nurses to come forward. Um, as Ms. Jody knows, it's, we're very pigeonholed. You know, we have facilities and organizations that will terminate you on the spot. You know, they don't want us to create doubt in medicine. They don't want you to infiltrate the system and make people question the science that's not good for business. And so a lot of times we were met with a lot of resistance. And so I was going to our commissioners meetings and speaking in front of our county commissioners, explaining like what I was seeing, what was happening. You know, why could I not be hired in one facility, but I could at another because of my COVID status at the time. I wasn't I wasn't COVID vaccinated. And so I was grandfathered in where I was. But if I left anywhere, I had no choice because no one wanted to hire nurses that didn't have the COVID vaccine. And then that led me to speak in front of legislation um, in January. I did. I've done now done it twice where I spoke in front of them to explain to them. We're still seeing these nursing shortages. 
We're still seeing harm done to our patients, these adverse reactions to the vaccines, how poorly managed our vaccine communities are being treated because they're not. Uh, nobody wants to make it a priority. They don't even want to admit that they exist uh, because I guess that would admit wrongdoing. And so we're seeing this cascade of events the aftermath is what I call it. I speak more about the aftermath that we're seeing in healthcare and how it continues to be so broken and how we're failing not only our healthcare staff when it comes to safety, because violence has gone up 50% since the pandemic in the hospitals. You we mean also patient, patient to nurse violence? Correct. So violence against us, most of the time related to patients and or families that come in that are not able to work together. And so we've had a huge increase in violence in the healthcare system since the pandemic. And then we also have our mental health in the healthcare field is absolutely broken. Uh, a lot of people have trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression. We don't have good resources out there, even hospitals that have programs. It's kind of biased. A lot of nurses don't want to come forward because they're afraid of what will go on their record uh, if they seek help. So it's not utilized appropriately. And then, of course, again, the rise of adverse reactions in people who are who are vaccinated and to see like the strain that it causes on the healthcare system when these individuals are coming in heavily vaccinated and consistently not able to fight off infection or, you know, progressive rapidly diseases um, that they've had. And just all of these things that we're seeing that nobody really wants to discuss. I think it's a little bit better than what it was a few years ago, but you know, again, I think a lot of it is admitting the wrongdoing and nobody wants to be that person to go, oh, you know, we made a mistake or, oh, yeah, we're starting to see the change. So all of these things I've brought forth to legislation, in addition to some legislation that I um, have been very blessed to work with certain groups in Florida to bring forward to protect medical freedoms and bodily sovereignty so that everyone has equal rights to work and go to school and live live freely um, and not be discriminated because of their vaccination status or lack thereof. So it's very important that um, we continue that because it's still happening in the great state of Florida. Yeah. And, and many people think that Florida was free. Florida is free. And, and people don't understand that that these corporations, they, they run independently of what the state has to say. Is that accurate? They do. We had SB 252 that passed this year in June that basically held them to the fire. Private and public entities cannot discriminate against COVID-19 vaccination, emergency use authorization vaccines and mRNA until 2025. So they're kind of pigeonholed in that aspect and, you know, gave us a breath of fresh air which I think is what shifted the movement, if you will, because now it's like, okay, COVID-19, we can move on. Like everyone's able to be a productive citizen and still live freely. But the problem is, is that a lot of uh, professions still are under the guise of this because now instead of COVID-19, they're coming after flu vaccinations. They're coming after childhood vaccines. They're switching the narrative. And instead of it being COVID this time, you know, after years of being able to religiously exempt from the flu vaccine was not a problem in the world, I'm now being denied religious exemptions for flu vaccines, depending on the facility that I'm at. It's not streamlined. They can make up their own rules. And so they're going around and, and working through the loopholes in the law and why we're going back to legislation this year. And people just don't understand that pediatricians are denying to see children if their parents decide not to vaccinate them. You know, colleges are still refusing depending on certain vaccines. You know, private schools can still deny uh, religious exemptions. So it's so much bigger 
than what people think. And I, I think sometimes they think it's just a healthcare problem or, oh, a military problem. No, the problem is they start with us. Yeah. They start with how far they can go and then they push it out into the community. And so a lot of people just kind of sit back and say it has nothing to do with them, but really it's just a matter of time. And so what I said to legislation this past, um, you know, January, I said, you know, listen, last year is my COVID. This year was my flu. So is next year going to be polio? Like at what point does it stop so that you can stop creating shortages in these professions because you're doing it purposely? You know, you, you have people that have ample experience that have never gotten in trouble, you know, never a bad rap on their on their license. And you're declining to hire them, which is a form of discrimination, if you ask me, and saying that it's just it is what it is. And it's getting they're getting away with it. Um which, you know, again, brings into the staffing that has changed and travelers coming in. So it, it all mends together and people just sometimes tend to forget that that happens. They do. And a lot of times people, they they don't pay any attention to it until it hits home. And then by that time, then they're like, help, help. And, and they're <laughs> running around and they're they're calling me and they're calling you. And they're like, what can we do? And it's like, oh my gosh. First of all, we don't have time to talk to every single one of you. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. th that's why we all need to work together. And that that's what I hope that this show uh, signifies for people is that it's not about me blowing the whistle in the manner in which I did, which looking back at it, I can see how bold of a move that it was. Right. But again, you know, I tell you guys all the time, this wasn't about what Jody O'Malley did. This was about what God told Jody to do. Right. And that's why you see me uh, flourishing uh, essentially is because this wasn't about me and what I wanted in this world, although I desperately wanted it. Right. Because as a nurse and, and as a person that loves people, it's like, I, I, it was hard to see people just being harmed and lied to over and over again, you know? Um, but, but it's having people like you and me still in there. You know, I, I, matter of fact, I haven't had one person come to me and say, I can't believe you went back to that system because I would tell them where to shove it. Um, right. Matter of fact, I could care less what people think of me. You know, I do what I am called to do. Right. And, and I think that's the major difference um, is that I, I submit to a higher authority. I call that authority Yeshua, the Holy Spirit. And if, and, and he, he searches my heart, right? He searches every single one of our hearts. He knows what we want and what we need. And I have been away from the bedside for two years. I have missed it tremendously, um, especially in the emergency room. Now, personally, I couldn't go back to the, the hospital bedside. I couldn't go back to the ICU. Um, just ethically speaking, I could not be giving these drugs, right? But in an emergency room, which that's where my heart is, um, you know, I, I'm happy to be there. But that's not to say that other nurses are in these areas. We need them still in these areas. For Christ's sakes, what if you go to the hospital? What if your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, somebody you loved, you know what it would be like if you did not have that nurse that knows what's up on the floor? I, I, I don't. I, and they don't. And that's the thing. A lot of times there's 
there's videos that we put out and there's a lot of information or we post the, the times that we go and speak in front of the county commissioners of the legislators so that we could try to reach more people. They don't understand. And a lot of times there's a very diverse, you know, hard left, hard right. You know, everybody brings certain things into it with politics and how things happened. And, you know, working in it, you see it a different way than others who don't. I mean, even, you know, people that maybe worked in an ECMO unit or an ICU setting is going to think differently, possibly based on someone who maybe didn't always get those COVID patients. And so there's such a diverse gap in some of this information. And one of the things that I stand for is, you know, informed consent. I tell people all the time, you need to know your rights. You need to understand the big picture here. And there's a lot of bad things that have happened and the, and the distrust in healthcare is rampant. And I understand why. But to group all of us together and to say that all of us are part of the problem or that if we stay, that we're not worthy or that we're part of the accessory, if you will, is really foolish. And like you said, if I could point out, you know, every single time you would have wanted someone with experience and the and the balls, if you will, to advocate for your loved one, I stayed and would have died on a thousand swords to to been able to have seen and, and shown people what was going on. And that the fact that people were being taken advantage of and had someone and not just me, this is not a, you know, God complex, whatever, but just somebody that with, with enough empathy and sense about them that no matter what you believe or what you come to the hospital for, I am not here to judge you. Now, right. I realize people broke that oath. I know a lot of people did judge you. I've seen people be gaslit. I have I have been gaslit. I have been, you know, yelled at and by a surgeon, you know, all kinds of things have happened. But you know what, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I did not choose this. This kind of chose me. I saw what was happening. And I said to myself, absolutely not. You know, the patient has to have both sides of the coin. And they didn't, they were not always getting that. And so I felt called to stay because had I not been there for some of the situations that I encountered. I know that there would have been far more errors or adverse events or deaths, if you will. And I know that it's really sad that we pushed a lot of nurses out of the healthcare field altogether because of the treatment that we receive and how absolutely insanely difficult it is and the liability. But there are a lot more great nurses that are still there that I hear from all the time that work at various different um, specialties and they're seeing the same stuff that I am, whether it's LND or labor and delivery, whether it's a NICU, you know, for premature babies, whether it's, you know, um, like I said, I'm working, you know, with cardiac patients, it spans across all specialties and to lose everyone that has the care to do so would just be absolutely detrimental. And so I really hope, you know, when we discuss these things that people maybe have a little bit of change of heart to understand that you may see familiar faces, even if it's online or whatever, that there are people fighting, fighting to have you protected. Um, even the ones that wish harm on me and others that I work, you know, they just, they don't want us in the profession. They think we're anti-science, anti-vax. They want nothing to do with us and they just try to discredit us. You know, even those people I fight for, you know, yeah. in Florida, we fight, we fight for you to have that right to say, yes, I want it or no, I don't. We're not trying to be anti-science, anti-vax per se. It's so that you have enough information to make an informed consent decision. And you weren't given that. I could, I can attest to that because I worked during it and I saw what it looked like. We didn't have the knowledge. So to say you were given it is false. And most people at the facility I worked at had to sign uh, vague packets that said, we don't know what this is going to do. This could be a side effect you could have, maybe, maybe not. Report it to VAERS. 
And we were giving these to individuals that were so immunocompromised, you know, and it just wasn't a thought. We did it. And so to go to the chest pain type program, if you will, mm-hmm. we're seeing this a lot in our heart patients that have a very coincidental correlation to the amount of vaccines that they have kind of coincides with the severe heart damage or the multiple cardiac events that they're having, which again, you know, if, if you're ready to just talk about it, you know, which is leading to the the end stemmies and the stemmies um, or the heart attacks. Yes, we, we could talk about that after the break, but before we do, since we only have a couple minutes, you, you did bring up something about, um, about the science, right? About reporting it to VAERS. And Aaron Siri, who is the attorney, I believe, for high, the High Wire, um, the, that's also another amazing um, information source, guys. He posts on Twitter um, this month, said CDC's COVID-19 V-safe system received 7.8 million entries from 10 million users. users. CDC fought hard to hide them. Pleased to announce that in our lawsuit against CDC, um, with co-counsel, a U.S. federal court ordered CDC to produce all entries over the next 12 months. So this is what we're talking about when we're saying, oh, well, that's not science. That's not this. Well, first of all, we have to understand that our data is so corrupt, first of all. Okay. And they intentionally did this. This was intentional so that you can't just follow the trail of breadcrumbs. This will lead you into so many, so many different paths. And and it it was interesting because when people would interview me, they they wanted to talk about one thing. And I said, oh, my gosh, we I can talk about one subject and go off three different ways on how they got there. So you know, this, uh, this one hour is not going to be enough. We're going to have to pick a topic and, you know, kind of stick to it because it is so corrupt. And, you know, even in that be safe system, they had their standard, like, you know, nausea, vomiting, pain at the injection site, but they also had free form texts where people could free form right in what was going on with them. Well, guess what? Nobody was following that. Nobody was gathering the data on that. You know, and that's what Aaron Siri's doing. And unfortunately, it takes years to go through our court system. So people think, oh, if we haven't heard anything now, you know, we're all good, you know, and and that's not true. Actually, Nicole and I are going to pine on um, on uh, Dr. Fauci's uh, testimony and break down all of the holes in what he did that was anti-scientific as well um, on another episode coming up. But yeah, but, you know, let's go to break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what an NSTEMI is and all the, the chest pain program that you're involved with. And then also um, your experience as a traveler and what Hawaii is dealing with now. But before we do, guys, um, I want you to want to direct you to ASEA. ASEA is an amazing self-signaling supplement. It pretty much, if I'm breaking it down super simple, it's 
salt water with a redox technology that is meant to get into the cell. Okay. I know that this might be a concept that is kind of hard for many to understand, but there's no other supplement out there like that because we had not been able to get that technology to get to the, the power horse of the cell. And when we say cells, that's everything your body is made up with, right? That's all we are is just trillions of cells. And some of them are specialized. You know, if you have your eyes, you have specialized eye cells, heart cells, those types of things. Um, but this has just been an amazing product uh, to use. I actually use the skincare line. I use the redox gel. My son just came home from basketball yesterday and pointed to his hip area and he said, mom, you know, I was running and I hurt this area. And I said, oh, you're groin. And he said, yes. Well, instead of giving him some ibuprofen or throwing, you know, some gel on it, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, that you put uh, reason like, yeah, that. like freeze or something like that. I gave him the ASEA. <laughs> he walked out of the room and he hasn't said anything since. So we use that gel on almost everything. So check it out. It's americaoutloud.shop and all of our talk radio listeners get an exclusive discount from them. So we will be right back after the break. It's time and this is The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out americaoutloud.shop, look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement, and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda 
that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. You are listening to Nurse Jody O'Malley on Nurses Out Loud. Guys, we are on five days a week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on iHeartRadio or on our world-class media player on our website at americaoutloud.news. You can also download the America Out Loud Talk Radio app. So 24-7, you can listen to any show host that's on. And of course, all of our shows go to podcasts. We are on every single podcast network imaginable. Um, and so just please review our shows, put a, put a little note in there and tell us why you like to hear us. Or maybe if you don't like to hear us, I don't know. I mean, good or bad, you know, (laughs) I think they say that, right. The publicity good or bad is, is, um, is good. So yes, we just encourage you to share the shows because there's so many people that don't hear the truth and you have, um, we have amazing guests like nurse Nicole who is in the system right now, right? She is working. And without further ado, uh, let's talk about the subject of chest pain and then break down what, um, an MI is and, and STEMI, a STEMI is for people. So they understand the, the lingo that we're talking. Perfect. So one of the things that we're seeing in a lot of, uh, individuals across the United States, uh, heart disease is the number one killer currently in the United States. Um, and so what I have had the privilege to see in individuals in this type of program that I'm running is, uh, patients that are coming in with heart attacks. And so we uh, use this as as an umbrella term for acute coronary syndrome, uh, which is typically an NSTEMI, a STEMI, an unstable uh, angina or chest pain. And so what a NSTEMI is, is typically a part of the heart that has a partial blockage, which could be, you know, due to a clot, or it could be uh, something muscular in nature, not necessarily always a blockage. Um, Unstable angina is typically, for lack of better terms, uh, chest pain that you have frequently that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a blockage present in the heart at that time or not enough to cause some serious issues just yet. And then we have something called a STEMI, which is an ST elevated MI or myocardial infarction, which is a true heart attack that we see in individuals coming in. Um, And per the American College of uh, Cardiology, we uh, have these terms that we use to collect data on individuals that come into the hospital system. And so you're divided into, you know, different categories, whether you've had this heart attack, which is a STEMI, an NSTEMI or unstable angina. And so a lot of times these individuals can come in with what we call typical or atypical uh, chest pain symptoms. And so typical chest pain is what we usually see on TV. They're you know pale, they're diaphoretic, they're grabbing their chest, they're actually feeling like there's 
chest pain involved. It could go from their jaw, radiate down to their arm. You know, there's there's various symptoms that could be like a little bit of nausea. Sometimes um, our more atypical symptoms are GI related, meaning more abdominal nausea, indigestion. You're not necessarily complaining of what we think is actual chest pain. And so another thing to note is just how individuals um, have progressed, you know, in, in their disease processes. And a lot of these individuals also have diabetes or high blood pressure. And so their vasculature system is already compromised. So for them to feel pain uh, can sometimes be skewed. And so this is why we teach both typical and atypical symptoms, because a lot of our atypical symptoms are not as common that we see in chest pain, usually gets misdiagnosed or is thought to be something else related to maybe the stomach, abdomen, et cetera, not necessarily chest pain. And so a lot of individuals, we try to teach them in the communities what those different symptoms look like. And to know your first thought should be to call 911 because time is tissue. So those are the things we're looking at when people are brought to the emergency department. And then we run a bunch of labs, we take um, cardiac enzymes or heart enzymes that we're looking called like a troponin, uh, more specifically, and that tells us there's some type of trauma to the heart that could be related to um, a heart attack. And then based on this information, um, we activate what we call a STEMI alert or an ST elevated MI. So your EKG that either the EMS team or paramedics do will confirm that out in the field when you're at home. Um, and then you're being brought to us and then the emergency department typically will sometimes do a repeat chest um, uh, EKG and to see if we're still seeing what we think we're seeing in addition to the symptoms the patient may have. And then, of course, based on those, if it is an activated true STEMI or a heart attack, then a decision is made to take the patient to the heart, uh, you know, heart for a heart catheterization, which is the gold standard for a physician who's trained to do a heart catheterization can go in either through your radial wrist or your groin and kind of go into the heart to see what exactly is going on. And so a lot of times they can tell right away how well the heart muscle is functioning, or if there's an actual blockage that they can fix with what we call a stent, or if there's so much damage that you might need to be considered for open heart. So what's interesting is, is that when these patients come in, um, we do not necessarily ask you right away what your vaccination status is, but a lot of times we have access to this because of the database and how the electronic uh, medical records are set up. And so what we're seeing is, a lot of these individuals coming in have had multiple COVID-19 vaccinations. Um, and what's interesting is, is, you know, we don't, we do ask for other types of vaccines, but they're not as prominent that we ask for. It's usually just the COVID-19. And so to see the population that's coming in, particularly where I'm at, it's very diverse. So we have lower socioeconomic income versus, um, you know, retired, you know, uh, very heavily vaccinated and a lot more health issues um, because of their age. You know, it doesn't discriminate. We're seeing it across the board that, you know, most of these individuals that have multiple vaccinations, and when I say multiple, it can range anywhere from two to up to eight, um, that these individuals have had that shows more heart damage and a lot of these patients are fortunate enough um, to have a bit of a scare, get a get a stent place, you know, hey, maybe we need to look at, you know, watching your diet, doing exercise, whatever. But we we do have patients that also have a high mortality rate, individuals that don't make it because there has been so much damage to the heart, um, whether they knew about it or not. So it's very important that our communities know that this is happening 
and that this data is being collected as it is. And like, you know, Ms. Jody said, it takes time. You know, we see this in real time, but to get this out to the public to explain that this is something we're seeing, it, it takes time to, to prove this on a large scale and why a lot of us try to speak out and talk about it and educate so that you can make the best informed decision. Um, that again, a lot of these individuals with multiple vaccinations are not doing well health-wise, and that can be proven very easily based on their health history and, and various uh, situations that bring them to the hospital or their doctor's office um, that, again, is more pro prominent to, depending on how many vaccines they've had. Yeah. And, and, you know, so when we talk about heart attack guys, you know, it's either the narrowing of the blood vessel. So imagine if you had a garden hose, right. And that garden hose, when you first got it, it, it pushed out water really effectively and the, it was strong and it was going through. Well, then over time, imagine that garden hose just shrinking right on the inside and and water was not pushing through. It looked the same on the outside, but on the inside, it was not the same and and water was struggling. Well, if if that if blood is not continually moving in a good direction at a good force with a good pressure, blood clots can happen. So you can have it, you know, um, the blood clot. So, you know, I know a lot of people, I don't know if you know this or not, but when people are having chest pain or chest pain, like symptoms that we're attributing might be a heart attack. We always ask them, did you take aspirin 324 milligram aspirin? Um, and a lot of times people don't know to do that right away. Um, so, so that's one thing. And one thing, another thing that nurses and doctors can do is ask the patient, are you vaccinated? So for example, with my chest pain, uh, patients, a couple of them, I was able to be in the room right when they came in. And when we get a chest pain alert, it's all hands on deck. Everybody is going in the room. We are putting in the IVs. We're drawing the blood. We're getting them on the monitor oxygen if they need it. Um, getting them the aspirin. And as I'm doing the IV and I'm going through uh, their, their history of why they were there, I asked them, are you vaccinated? And I just asked that question just in the room, you know, because you don't know if they had just gotten it or not. And it makes the other nurses and doctors in the room aware. So not right. one time with any of my strokes or any of my chest pains, has anybody ever said to me, why are you asking that question? Because if they did, I would tell them because that's a, a that's a side effect, guys. Like that's a well that's documented on Pfizer's uh, right. website. Like, right. hello. And if we're not the ones collecting the data and throwing it in their chart, you know, because all say if they said yes to me, I would have put a nurse's note in there and say patient received X vaccine on this day um, and is presenting in the hospital with chest pain, because that can also help their case if they wanted to go and sue uh, for an, an adverse event, um, which is pretty unlikely that they're going to win. But regardless, um, you know, because it is EUA, it's still under emergency use authorization. And people need to realize the risk that they are taking with that. Even our fully approved vaccines are really, really hard since our government, I think in 1986, 
passed yes. yeah passed the the law uh preventing you know giving them like giving them liability or um giving them what is it i can't think they have immunity they're not immunity. able to thank you um for it. And, and you, you brought a very good point up and, you know, for people to understand that some of the things that we're seeing is, you know, for instance, I can see when someone had their vaccines and I can tell you time and time again, per the literature from Pfizer and Moderna, you know, they say between the doses should be at least three to four weeks. Sometimes it could be a couple, like maybe two months, depending on when you got your last one. And we have seen where patients have been vaccinated a day apart. We've seen them where they've been vaccinated a day apart and then the next month and then the next month after that. I have seen where patients have had up to five vaccines for COVID-19 in 2021 alone. So people don't understand that for whatever reason, I know I can't speculate. I mean, I have an opinion, but you know why this happened where it was so unregulated and, and it wasn't followed where we made sure that we saw the actual information before someone else would vaccinate another individual, that there's no need to have had that many that close together. Um, you know, if we're even going there. So it's just really unfortunate that we keep seeing this. And I don't know if people are not aware of that, if they just turned a blind eye, you know, I'm not quite sure where this is going, but we see where it has been multiple times that people have been vaccinated. And like you said, you know, um, just knowing the symptoms, you know, knowing that you are at a higher risk if you've had these vaccines, it is on the website. A lot of the videos that I do is educating straight from the insert, things that they don't tell you. The trials that they've had are against no true placebos. The fact that we have, you know, the emergency use authorization still in effect. People still think that that's not happening. It is. Even our swabs, so when we swab you, uh, most of these are still under the emergency use authorization. It'll be right in the database. You can yeah. see it on your you know, the medication Paxlovid, because of the law that we passed in Florida, uh, which is just random it, to me and my thought process, you should have to give informed consent for everything. But that wasn't happening with a lot of the COVID-19 stuff. And so we passed a, a bill called SB 252 that makes them now. And I have documents where I work that I now see due to the law SB 252. We must provide you informed consent for Paxlovid or this or that, because um, it wasn't happening and people were not getting the full picture. So they couldn't make that best informed decision. So knowing that if you have these symptoms, do not wait, call 911, go to be seen to your near, you know, your nearest hospital. Like Ms. Jody said, it's common knowledge, take the 324 baby aspirin. We used to give nitro to people. I'm not going to say not take it, but I know that there are some heart attacks that we would advise not to, but you're not going to know that. So, you know, still do what you would typically do if you have access to that. Um, but you want to get seen, guys, because I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of these patients, they will have told us it's been happening for a day, two days. Had a lady that that happened to that did not make it. We got her to the cath lab. We put the help. We put the stent in. You know, she didn't make it. So do not wait. You know, please, please, please know that it's not to scare you. We're not trying to put fear into you, but educate and empower you that if you happen to have these vaccines on board, just know that you're at high risk and what to do so that you can be as proactive, not reactive. Yeah. And, and probably not a bad idea is trying to get an echo from your doctor ordered, right? You can, you can call up your cardiologist and, and say, I'm having these pains. You know, I was seen in the ER and, you know, and they're saying that it's not an active heart attack, but I know something's not right. Um, can we do further testing? So that I, I can see, you know, I mean, I had a gentleman come in, um, he, and he was 70% occluded in his left artery. And he said, how is that possible? 
And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I was having heart issues and I was being, no, not heart issues. I was having dizzy spells and, you know, I'd get up and I'd move and he goes, and I'm active. I was running. I, you know, I was working out and he was like 74 years old, but a very looking like he was a 50 year old in in American standards. Right. Um, And, and he said, I got all of my workups done. All of it. He goes, I had an angio done, uh, an angiogram. I had an echo done. And I said, well, I guess maybe they didn't go up high enough into your neck and see, because it was 70% occluded. And, and on top of it, like the doctor needed him to get an MI or MRI. And we don't have that in our hospital. This gentleman sat in our ER for 20 hours waiting for a hospital bed to open up. And he asked the doctor, he said, well, can I leave and just go to the, the ER? And he said, sir, I have been trying to get you a bed. If you leave here and go to another hospital, they're going to do the same exact thing that I just got done doing. And you could be waiting there for quite some time. At least if you're sitting here waiting and anything happens to you, we can help you versus you going and waiting. But that gentleman sat for 20 hours before a bed opened up in in the Arizona area. I mean, in all of the state, guys. All of the state. Yeah. And that, and that's one of the things too, you know, just to kind of backpedal real quick, you know, it could, it could be as simple as mus- uh, muscle in nature, your whole entire heart is a muscle. And so, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily a blockage that's causing these issues and, you know, an echocardiogram or the ultrasound of the heart is something easy and non-invasive. It doesn't require any poking or prodding that you can have in addition to an EKG, you know, blood work, there's different things, you know, like she's saying, test. And, you know, MRI, these are non-invasive. The gold standard eventually, you know, is like a, is like a heart cath, but even like a stress test. But just to note that, you know, you could have a clot that blocks the important areas that are decreasing the blood flow to your heart that could cause a heart attack. You could have plaque, which is because of poor diet and, you know, not taking maybe certain medications, whatever you want to call it, that could also block the area. Or it could just, like I said, be muscular in nature where we have like the pericarditis, the myocarditis, the inflammation that is causing this damage. So you don't know what it is until you get those things looked at and have different testing. So it's so important that whoever you decide to follow is able to do some sort of baseline blood work and and testing so that you know what's going on. Because like Ms. Jody was saying, sometimes it can happen very quickly. You know, a lot of people say, I just was seen, everything was normal. Well, that's a lot of times what we're seeing in these patients. They said they felt fine. There was no problems until it wasn't. Um, and like we're segueing into this next portion here, our hospital systems don't have the staff. We don't have the appropriate means to care for people sometimes because of what the pandemic has done. And so the longer you wait or the fact that you're not necessarily staying up on your health, you know, when it gets really urgent or emergent, um, you know, we're kind of playing Russian roulette based on, you know, where you're at in the in the United States, like, you know, where Ms. Jody's at, like, it's far to get to another hospital. So you may not have that much time. So it's just really, again, being proactive versus reactive. Because you don't know what's going to happen when you get to the hospital sometimes based on staffing and their needs and what they're able to accommodate for you. Yeah, we'll we'll do another show um, devoted to that. Uh, but before 
Yeah, we could talk about it very quickly. I mean, we said that the pandemic caused this, but what caused this truly was not, um, quote unquote, the COVID virus. What caused this was the handling of it, right? The government coming down, taking away our ability to be autonomous and, and say, no, we don't want to participate in an experiment. We're not going to participate. And a lot of nurses left the system. You know, and so right now you have all these baby nurses that went to school during COVID that didn't touch one person. And now they're on the floor and they're running the floor, guys. They are your charge nurse. Typically, a charge nurse would have at least five years experience. They would be your most experienced nurse on that on that shift at that time would be helping you. And now they don't have any of that. And a lot of these nurses also were um, that graduated were thrown into the COVID units because we weren't doing anything for the COVID patients, right? They were a very easy population to take care of because we weren't going in the rooms. We were maybe hanging one drug, remdesivir. We weren't giving them fluids. We weren't giving them antibiotics. So their critical thinking, um, they don't really have that yet. And, and they are running the hospital. But while we're on this subject, Nicole, let's talk about what people can do uh, f- as far as diet and exercise and lifestyle. Um, you know, my, one of my biggest ones is sugar. Like right. sugar is the devil. Like it, it is in the body. Right. It is a silent killer. People do not. It's not your butter. It's not your meat. It is sugar. It is sugar and processed foods. Do you want to add on to that? I just think, cause I know we might have different people, um, you know, various backgrounds and different things, you know, just to, to understand that, um, certain ethnicities and age are more prone in general, even, you know, pre pandemic to possibly having a heart attack. The best thing that you can do is just really in moderation. You know, I know a lot of times people just kind of quit because they think it's too restrictive, So, you know, obviously sugar is a big one, salt, you know, salt, wherever salt goes, water goes. And a lot of times our patients, because of the types of food we have with processed food, fast food, everything in America is just garbage. Um, You know, you have all this filtering in your system and damaging your arteries and making it harder for you to have that circulatory pumping and getting everything where it needs to be. You know, so obviously watching your cholesterol, watching your, your fat, you know, just things in moderation. It's not that you can't have it. It's just you want to be uh, more aware of what you're eating and and making sure that there's healthier options with each meal. Also, too, not smoking. Smoking is a huge issue that we see or cutting down on how much you smoke because that also can mess with the circulatory system. You know, weight. If you could walk 30 minutes a day or even three times a week, that's better than nothing. I mean, any kind of uh, movement because your heart is a muscle helps strengthen that heart um, pump, you know, again, with your physician's permission, because some individuals are not able to do a whole lot of exercise for various reasons. Um, so again, it's just having that open dialogue um, and knowing your resources. There's a ton of things online that are free resources to people that you could Google, you know, for what's a good heart healthy diet or, you know, what's appropriate for a, a heart patient, if you will, mm-hmm. that can give you some sort of basic um, knowledge. If you're not getting that from maybe your doctors or, you know, we have dietitians, there's all kinds of stuff, but just know that you are empowered to make those decisions for your health. Um, and that as nurses, you know, our job is to educate and to advocate 
But then at some point you take the accountability to make those decisions when you leave to try to um, protect yourself. Because the whole goal, whether people believe it or not, is we don't want you coming back to the hospital. We want to try to teach you to take care of yourself in a way um, to either decrease the amount of times you have to come or just not come at all. You know, it's emergency medicine. It's life or death medicine is typically what we're supposed to be seeing. And right now we're seeing a lot of variations of everything. So, um, you know, just the exercise and watching what you eat when it comes to your fat, cholesterol, the sugar, the salt, um, and moderation. So, um, you know, usually- I like to tell people, you know, to keep it super, super, super simple, you know, cause I think so many people when they have all these like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how much fat, how much salt, how much this, I tell them this, basically, if you eliminate processed sugar and you cook all your food at home, like food that you could pronounce, not from a box that's called processed food. So if you can cook all your meals at home and eliminate your sugar, you're not, you don't have to worry about any, any of that other stuff. You don't have to worry about your fat, your carb, your salt, all of that, because the salt, I think it's not the table salt that people are putting on their home cooked meal. It is the salt that they're getting from the processed food from the package that, or the can of food that they are opening up. So, you know, when you, when you look at eliminating the sugar from your diet and the carbs, like that white processed carbs, um, then your body will use the fat to burn for energy. Actually, that's, that's kind of, that's what I'm doing now. And because it's too much, you know, it's like for someone who struggles with weight, it's like, you can't look at these like little portion controls and this and that. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, I'm just going to eliminate all the carbs and the sugar and, you know, and I'm just going to eat that food that I can actually pronounce. You know what I'm saying? No, it's true. Make it as easy as possible because a lot of times people just give up. You know, it's too hard. It's too difficult. And that's not the goal. We don't want it to make it difficult or you to feel defeated. Um, It's just to try to make smart choices, better choices. Obviously, eating at home is is great. And you can control what's in your food and where where it's coming from. And so, yeah, it's a very valid point. The salt is what I'm referring to is just like you said, it's really the stuff that they're putting in. That's easy, quick fixes with the canned food and the processed food, the TV dinners, which again, a lot of our patients may have fixed incomes and different things that that's maybe they all they can afford. So just kind of learning what you could do with and without, or maybe eliminate a little bit more to better your outcomes of staying as healthy as possible. Yes. I actually had a, a dietitian uh, you know, send me a message and she said, I'm a rogue dietitian. I need to be part of your team. <laughs> so uh, well, I'm going to be interviewing her too, guys. Uh, but stay tuned uh, on our next show uh, coming up because I'm going to keep Nicole on here as my co-host. And we are going to talk about the crisis in the hospital with staffing and um, and what's happening in Hawaii and all around. Many nurses are protesting and um, and we just want to you know be a, a positive voice in that and give you our opinions and hopefully some solutions to that. But that's all the time we have for today, friends. Thank you for joining us. Remember, we love to hear from you. So reach out to us, nurses at americaoutloud.com. So until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. It's time